right, we've got three stories from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about a car-crushing meteorite, a few red flags for spotting psychopaths and narcissists, and how you can measure your level of passionate love. Let's satisfy some curiosity on the award-winning Curiosity Daily. What do a meteorite and a 1980 Chevy Malibu have in common? Well, if you were born in the mid-90s, then the answer is a thing that happened before you were born. Fortunately, we're here to give you a little history lesson. What's the difference between a meteorite and a 1980 Chevy Malibu? One killed the dinosaurs and the other one is a dinosaur. Uh, I don't know. That was a bad joke. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this might surprise you, but our planet gets hit with a pretty healthy dose of meteoric materials pretty much all the time. As in about 60 tons of it every day. Most of what we get is a light cosmic dusting or a baseball-sized missile at best. And when you think about it, our planet is covered with so much water, the actual odds of a meteorite hitting land, let alone a person, is actually pretty slim. But a meteorite made a big impact in one person's driveway on October 9th, 1992. 18-year-old Michelle Knapp was just hanging out in her parents' living room watching TV when suddenly she heard an enormous crash from the driveway. She ran outside where she found her bright orange 1980 Chevy Malibu with a smoking hole punched all the way through the trunk. She found an actual crater in the ground under the car, too. And at the bottom of that crater, there was a bowling ball sized rock that weighed about 28 pounds and smelled like sulfur. The next day, a curator from the American Museum of Natural History confirmed that the rock had fallen from outer space. Don't worry about the damages, though. The space rock was split into smaller chunks and purchased by several different fossil and meteorite collectors. And the car was sold for about $10,000. That's not too shabby considering the car ran for about $6,000 new. Now the car is in the full-time custody of the Makovich collection of meteorites. It might not be roadworthy anymore, but it's still traveled around the world. The meteorite car has been on display in museums from Tokyo to Paris. The moral of the story? If a meteorite hits your car, don't call your insurance company. Call your nearest museum. Or get on eBay while it's hot. <laughs> it's not hot. Meteorites aren't hot. That's, that's a common myth. Fine. <laughs> At some point, you've probably had to cut someone toxic out of your life. That is never fun. But you can stay away from the wrong people in the first place if you know some common red flags. So today we've got some telltale signs that could help you spot psychopaths and narcissists. Have you ever had to cut a psychopath and narcissist out of your life? I can never tell what they are, what they aren't, but um, yeah, I've had to cut some people out of my life. No fun. No, definitely not. First, let's be clear. There are lots of differences between psychopaths and narcissists. Narcissists tend to overvalue themselves at the expense of others. Psychopaths habitually take advantage of others, whether it's physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, or financially, without remorse, by the way. But there are also some overlaps. One of the main ones is that people with psychopathic or narcissistic traits often create false personas and mannerisms when they interact with people. This is a type of showmanship that gives them the chance to test, manipulate, or even vilify other people. On the plus side, though, there are some dead giveaways once you know the method to their madness. Here's an obvious sign. They go from zero to TMI in 10 seconds. Within just a few minutes of meeting someone for the first time, A psychopath or narcissist might tell you about their smartest financial investments or worst family drama. They might even repeat the same stories like a script because they basically are scripts. They might even be total lies. 
Sharing these deep, dark secrets can build intimacy and bonding, and the faster you bond, the sooner manipulation can begin. And if you get a bunch of rapid-fire personal questions, then the goal is to get you to overshare back. The ploy is to get you to reveal your biggest problems in life, and then once those are out there, the person can conveniently offer to help. Keep in mind, though, that they might go the other way and ask you zero questions. If you're in a conversation where the person is telling you a dramatic story about a dying family member and they don't even know your first name or why you're at the party or wherever you are, then the whole point of the conversation might be for you to get hooked on their quote-unquote interesting life. Whatever they do, once they've got you hooked, the next step might be to do you special favors, and the next step after that is for them to try to get favors from you. Only thing is, there'll be bigger requests with greater demands, and that is a slippery slope. We've got a few more telltale signs in our full write-up on Curiosity.com and on the Curiosity app for Android and iOS, but the defining trait of a psychopath or narcissist is a lack of emotional empathy. People with these disorders can't completely fake empathy, and your subconscious will pick up on that. If you feel uncomfortable around someone, then trust your instincts and move on. Before we get to our last story, I want to give a special shout-out to some of our patrons for supporting our show. Thank you to Steve Guy, Doug Hench, Jaris Durnett, and Dane Norris for contributing to our Patreon page. You are a vital part in helping us keep the show going. If you're listening and you want to support Curiosity Daily, then visit patreon.com curiosity.com, all spelled out. Even a couple bucks a month would be a huge help. That's less than a psychopath will ask you to borrow. And we're producing exclusive longer episodes and interview clips as our way of thanking patrons. Although don't worry, we'll keep our daily shows like today's free for everyone to enjoy. For more info, go to patreon.com slash curiosity.com. It's hard to define love, but how about passionate love? Believe it or not, researchers have actually come up with a definition. And there's a research-backed quiz to tell you how passionate your relationship is. Did you take the quiz, Ashley? I did. Did you? I did. How'd it go? Pretty well. What? How, how'd yours go? You don't want to go first. <laughs> You're the one who's married. I am married. So the rankings are frosty, cool, average, good, and extreme. Mm-hmm. And I'm extreme. Me too. Nice. Yeah. Look how passionate we are about We're stuff. So passionate. Relationships. Nice. But Ashley, what defines a passionate relationship? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked, Cody. See, in a 1986 study, researchers from Illinois State University defined passionate love more or less as puppy love, meaning the most common type of love among people from 13 to 22 years old. The researchers argued that it's all about high highs and low lows, along with a pretty much constant intensity. A person in passionate love feels euphoria when they're with their beloved and despair when they can't be. Passionate love is so intense that it comes with physical symptoms. We're talking dizziness, butterflies in your stomach, weak knees, and rapid breathing. In other words, being in passionate love and having a panic attack aren't totally different. And unrequited love can be passionate too. So you can feel passion that's never reciprocated, and some couples love each other without much passion. This makes it kind of unclear where the passion actually comes from. But we can at least identify passionate love when it's there. And that's where the researcher's passionate love scale comes in. There's an abbreviated version of the passionate love scale you can take online. It consists of 15 statements that, if true, mean you're in passionate love. To create the scale, the researchers drew from a mix of interviews, literature, and other psychologists' love-related scales. You just need to pick a relationship to evaluate, and if you're single, you can just use your most recent one. 
From there, you'll rank how much you agree with 15 statements, such as, I want my partner physically, emotionally, and mentally. And sometimes I feel I can't control my thoughts. They are obsessively on my partner. Hey, passionate love isn't always healthy. Like we said, your result will put you on a passion scale that runs from frosty to extreme. Just keep in mind that passion is associated with adolescence, so having a relationship that isn't extreme might just be a sign of maturity and not a lack of love. Like Romeo and Juliet. Yep, they did not end up well. Read about today's stories and more on Curiosity.com. Join us again tomorrow for the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.